0: Fandom University. Every other week, we deep dive into the topics we love and obsess over. Comics, novels,
1: movies, sci-fi, and video games receive the elevated discourse
0: they deserve. With your overworked TAs, Sean and Sergio. Hello, welcome to the beginning of the spring semester 2022. This is Fandom University. My name is Sergio.
1: Mine is Sean.
0: How are you today, sir? I am good. How are I, you? I'm, I'm doing great. I feel like $100 uh, because we are going to be talking about everybody's uh, favorite masked uh, serial killer who also is, switches identities. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing about slasher movies is it's always the same guy, like behind the mask.
1: Usually, aren't there a couple I mean, of Friday the 13ths that are the
0: exception to that rule? Well, I mean, I, I there's, well, I guess that proves the exception. But, but for the most part, it's Jason Voorhees behind the hockey mask. It's Michael right. Myers underneath the white William Shatner mask. Uh, it's uh, Freddy Krueger always like you know as a burned up you know uh, pedophile, I guess. Uh, <laughs> pedophilic yeah, monsters yeah. as if uh as if the as if the folks of uh springwood uh were wrong in doing what they did
1: right uh, to, to take out a pedophile yeah
0: uh, but no we're talking about ghost face we're talking about uh the scream movies but uh yeah ghost face is uh is the killer in every scream movie but the the person behind the mask is always different or persons is, or persons which is always fun uh this scream came out i didn't realize it it, it it was such a part of our adolescence like it came out when we were 13 years old mm-hmm. and watching it now i can't believe that you know it might be why we're so desensitized to violence because <laughs> that movie is violent af and we were just yucking it up as teenagers as 13 year olds loving it
1: and it's not just violent it's like upsettingly violent like there's an emotion behind the violence it's not just like evil dead too ridiculous you know um, like
0: over the top just gore like uh, or even like just torture porn
1: right like, like hostile
0: the, style or or the sauce series
1: right it matters when somebody gets hurt and scream and it it it's really upsetting like that opening sequence i was telling you we were talking about it the other day um I had forgotten, you know, it's iconic of course, you know, we everybody knows, you know, the the Drew Barrymore opening, but what I forgot is how upsetting it still is. Like I for my money it's the most upsetting thing in the movie, right? Like it,
0: it definitely starts off with a bang for sure.
1: And it's yeah, it it like so much so that, like I can't believe that I didn't walk away from it at 13 because like as a nearly 40-year-old I'm like this isn't fun. This is, <laughs> this is scary.
0: I mean, we're uh, like, we're, re- we're, I mean, yeah, it's scary. I mean, it's, and it's not that sort of like, you know, laughing alongside the characters or like laughing at how cheesy it is. Um, it's like genuinely upsetting. And I think that it, um, it goes back to what Kevin Williamson who wrote the screenplay and and pretty much wrote the the screenplay to our teenage years (laughs) (laughs) uh is what he the like the sort of emotion that he wanted to invoke and and, you know and getting ready for this this course uh you know we you sent me a couple of articles one of which was a uh an oral history of the first movie where they went back and talked to most of the cast and Williamson said the the inspiration for the movie came from he was watching uh, some documentary on a serial killer and so he got himself kind of spooked, which is you know natural. Like it happens to me all the time. I remember I used to watch a that TV show Sightings, which was about yes. like aliens and like Bigfoots and shit. And I would watch it by myself, and uh, I would like then turn on every light in the house and every radio and stuff, and like double check every window and door was locked. Um, except this time he. Walks up, like toward one of his windows that he that is open and he doesn't he didn't remember opening it, opening it. And so he gets spooked, like checks the house. But that serves as the inspiration for like one of the most terrifying uh feelings that a person could have is that in the place where you are the, supposed to be the safest, the most safe, there's somebody not not somebody in there that isn't supposed to be there. one. And also, too, they are trying to do you harm.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think part of what makes uh, that opening sequence work so well is that it starts out sort of flirty and charming. Like the, the, the voice on the phone, actually, like you start liking him. Like you're kind of like, okay, this is a little weird, but like also kind of cute. Like there's, you know, and then it just sort of takes a turn.
0: Yeah. No, I, what, like she, like, she's kind of feeling it too. Like he asked if she has a boyfriend and she says no, which okay. she does. Uh, and, but she says no, because she's kind of like giving into like the whole like flirtatious vibe of the phone call conversation before. Yeah. Before it takes uh, the turn.
1: Right. And what is the turn exactly? I can't remember the exact line where it happens.
0: Do you, do you remember off the top of your head? It's at the point where he, the, the, per, the, the voice on the phone asks, Drew Barrymore's character, what her name is. And she says, kind of flirty, like, why do you want to know my name? And he says, I want to know who I'm looking at, which freaks her out. She asks him to repeat, she's like, what? And he's like, I want to know who I'm talking to. And she's like, nah, motherfucker, that's not what you said. And so at that point, like, she's uncomfortable with the situation and wants to get off the phone. And that's when he gets really aggressive. And yeah, like the whole, I mean, from, uh, and I'm still even 25 years later, I'm still not exactly sure um, how the boyfriend dies. Like, he gets disemboweled, but is is one of the killers standing like crouched behind him, like stabbing him from the back, or is he reaching I'm around and cutting him open? I'm
1: not sure either. Oh, That's I was never I've clear been trying on that. to I'm sure somebody uh, could write in and tell us. I'm sure somebody online has figured out, figured that out and worked out the logistics. Um, but I I I have. I'd always wondered about that too. Like it happens really quick for the amount of gore that you see in that shot. Like that seems like that would take a little bit more work. Like, but like they they unzip him like a purse. Um, but they, course uh, Steve.
0: I think so. Um, but yeah. So this movie acts as an homage and also a like send up of all the like 70s and 80s slasher tropes that had um, worked their way into the genre either by by happenstance, sort of like how Laurie Strode became the template for the final girl survivor. Uh, sort of not because that's what John Carpenter intended, um, but it just happened to, you know, people just read it that way and, and went forward. But then also um, the other stuff like, saying like you know i'll be right back like which means like you you probably won't uh the girl uh or like not just any not just the girl but anyone being chased by a killer running upstairs when they should just be running out the back door um it it's a very loving homage because in you know there's there's one thing there you can definitely tell when something when when it's a either a, a parody or like a very loving tribute and scream is 100% a very loving tribute.
1: Yeah. I mean, for, for uh, a counter example, you don't have to look any farther than the uh, scary movie series, which is just straight parody, um, which is just making fun of it. There's not, it's not adding anything about it. It's not really saying anything about it. It's just sort of like poking at it and kind of elbowing the audience in the ribs. Whereas this movie does a little bit of that, but also like reinvigorates some of those tropes while undermining the bad ones, like the virgin thing. For example, it goes out of its way to like play with that rule and undermine it, so that Sydney, of course, loses her virginity in the movie and then uh, you know executes her boyfriend. Yeah, and survives right anyway. Also. Yeah, survives
0: yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, like there's there's definitely like some playful nudging, but I think you know and. Not to say that the, the weigh-ins, the creators of the scary movie franchise don't respect horror movies, but, you know, it's, uh, it's,
1: their aims are different.
0: Exactly. And, you know, the, the creators of the scream movie, which I would say are, you know, Kevin Williamson who wrote the screenplay and Wes Craven who directed it, who initially didn't want to direct it, you know, according to that, right. that, uh, oral history that you sent me, he passed on it because he was kind of like, uh, like I kind of did this with, uh, Freddie's new nightmare or West Craven West Craven's new nightmare uh the last of the of his uh Freddy movies where Freddy sort of like it comes into the real world somehow
1: i never saw it but um now i kind of want to see it
0: but uh they kept sort of you know you know asking you no, know, he they kept like coming around to him one way or another and he eventually um i guess to mention literally made him an offer he couldn't refuse um and so, you know, obviously Wes Craven is someone who, um, has made has an indelible stamp on the horror franchise. You know, right, he, even he, before Scream, yeah, yeah, he knows how to make a horror movie, and and you know, I you know, inarguably loves the genre. And you know, Kevin Williamson was you know a good enough writer that he could play with the stereotypes, play with the tropes, play with all the things that, you know, um, seemingly made horror movies trite in, in the plot wise, uh, turn them on their head, use them, but in a different way. And like you said, invigorate the, the genre as a whole. And this was I mean, post scream. We had like this just entire boom of, you know, good looking teenage horror movies. <laughs> like, right. I know what you did last summer, uh, urban legend like jeepers creepers these are all like movies with good-looking kids that live in amazing houses right. uh, that are being killed off one by one
1: yeah by by threats either uh, uh mundane or supernatural right right and also i it also leads us into the tv boom as well because kevin williamson creates dawson's creek which you know alongside buffy the vampire slayer kind of becomes like the template for the modern like cw teen drama
0: yeah um, i mean with without without dawson's creek and and buffy do we get supernatural do we get um uh one tree hill do we get hyperion bay yeah that's a that's the, the oc yeah. the oc um <laughs> and and even to this day do we riverdale you know uh, i would argue that you know I'm, I'm surprised that it wasn't kevin williamson himself who figured that one out <laughs> <laughs>
1: right he did do vampire diaries or kevin
0: williams it. kevin williams williamson williamson i don't know why i thought williams uh when i've been reading his name non-stop for the past two weeks <laughs>
1: right um so yeah do you remember seeing scream for the first time did you see it in the theater or did you catch it on video
0: i didn't i, I caught it on video i didn't see it in the theater um at the time like you know 13 uh you know my like at the time my social life was not that it was not one that i could just but you know, had buddies that we'd go to the movies together right. like that. Um, it wasn't really until you and I started hanging out that uh, about you know 15, 16, that we we're just at the movie theater like every single weekend. It seemed like it didn't <laughs> no matter what it was showing, like we'd watch it. You know, um, but yeah, like you know, Scream was, and it they discussed it in the oral history, which I'll, I'll link to in, in the show notes. Yeah, so it's a great it's a great read. Yeah, how. Um, it was really word of mouth how, like, it made very, like I think, made $3 million opening weekend yeah. against,
1: um, you Beavis know, Beavis and uh, Butthead. Yeah.
0: And they would walk in, they'd said it was like, you know, Pete, they, they walk, the producers walk into a theater showing Beavis and Butthead, and, you know, people are laughing, throwing popcorn, having a great time. It's like, you know, it's bacchanalian. And they walk into a theater showing and Scream, and there's like seven people in there. But the word of mouth was such that, you know, it was three and then it was 10 and then it was 30. And then it ended up, it ends up grossing $173 million worldwide.
1: Against with, like a what? $14 million budget.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, which is, a, I would say exactly why they made a sequel
1: within I, a year, within <laughs> a
0: one year, they fast track production. And, um, but yeah, so what, you know, what do you think, what is it about scream that makes it, you know, so, so iconic that makes it work so well, even 25 years later, like, you know, they're still making movies. Obviously like we decided to talk about this because we've got scream five coming out, uh, this weekend. And of course we will be discussing it as long as, as well with, uh, as long, uh, as well as scream Four, the, um, forgotten, uh, fr- uh, installment of the franchise, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, we we can talk about that a little bit more in the next episode, but it's definitely one that I didn't get around to until we started working on this arc. And um, yeah, well, uh, that's all I'll say about it for now. Um, but <clears throat> I mean, I think that you, you, you touched on it earlier. I think what you've got is a really smart writer at the very top of his game and a craftsman uh, director who knows exactly how to handle the material um but also seems to have a pretty good hand with actors too like not just like how to scare but actually how to like pull out a pretty decent performance from you know a bunch of young actors and they it seems like they got really lucky on the casting too like there are a lot of i I, you know i wouldn't say that like the cast of this movie necessarily went on it's not like there are a bunch of oscar winners in this cast but like pretty much everybody in this cast kept working afterwards you know in one way or another um you know some to greater or lesser degrees and were iconic parts of our own uh young adulthood um, no yeah
0: I, I would argue that um everyone in the main cast you know continued to make a living as an actor
1: right yeah, and none of the performances to me, I, I think the performances are all pretty uniformly strong. I think the movie knows when to let the audience laugh, but also knows how to ramp it up, ramp up that tension as well. I think that it was because, like, you know, I think they mentioned this in the oral, oral history, horror movies weren't doing that well, right, at that point. Like, there was a boom after this movie. Sorry, my glasses are reflecting and it's getting on my nerves. Um, there was a horror boom. After this movie and I think part of it is that like it looked cool like it, it was slicker than anything we'd seen before and it didn't seem to insult our intelligence like especially as teenagers like we felt like it was put portraying people who were supposedly around our age as very smart savvy people um who we kind of wished we were essentially right. like and I think all of that combines and i think you know i don't think any of that works if the core isn't a solid story and it's a really good story with a strong emotional through line too like that's the thing i forgot in the years between you know watching scream 3 back in the early 2000s and then not really revisiting the franchise till this year um is that like aside from the the upsetting opening there's also just a lot of heartbreak and sadness like threaded through you know sydney's got a pretty tragic story yep. um and I don't, I don't know i think it, it you know it's just one of those things where it all kind of comes together and i was really delighted when we watched the movie and i found that it held up you know a lot of stuff i rewatched from around that same time whenever i uh, you know, I won't name any names, but there are certain things that we also adored that I go back and I'm like, oh yeah, not so much. Uh, yeah. But this, this, this still works.
0: Oh yeah, it absolutely works. It, uh, I think one of the smartest things they did, which is, this was actually uh, Kevin Williamson's uh, sort of, um, not really intent, but there was this hope that they could get a bigger name for that initial, for that, first, for that first role that Drew Barrymore ends up playing um, for um, Casey. Casey's character. Uh, because he was really going for a sort of like Janet Lee and Psycho sort of vibe, where Janet Lee is this big movie star, is in this brand new Alfred Hitchcock movie, and then gets killed halfway through. And audiences are thinking, like, okay, wait, wait, hold on. Like, I thought we were watching this Janet Lee picture. Like, what the hell's going on? They wanted to <laughs> throw them for a loop and uh they and thanks to Drew Barrymore they ended up getting that because she actually they wanted her for the Sydney role she read reads the script and she's like no i want to be i want to do Casey i want to do that like she understood the script for what it was and what it was trying to do and was really excited about that and was really like all for um that that sort of intention to sort of swerve the audience you know because you look at the old promotional material Drew Barrymore is front and center in just about all of it, yep. you know, and she would definitely, I mean, the Courtney Cox was on friends, but she, Drew Barrymore was by far the biggest movie star at the time.
1: Yeah. She was at the height of her fame at that point, I would say.
0: And so, you know, to have her killed off in the first 10, 15 minutes audience are thinking like, Oh, okay. What, wait, what the hell? Like I, I thought I was watching this horror movie starring Drew Barrymore. Now she's dead. You know, I don't know what to expect. And sort of like kind of keeping um, the audience on their toes that way by using, by, you know, inverting the the tropes by saying like, oh yeah, like, you know, we all know that the girl who, you know, the girl who doesn't have sex uh, is the one who lives. Well, guess what? Like your heroine just had sex with her boyfriend. Now what? And so you're, right. and the whole time they're, they're telling you, we know the, we know, you know, the rules and we're going to, we're going to play with that. So you're, so the audience is never, you know, able to really relax and think to themselves like, "Oh, and I know what's going to happen next. I've seen this a million times." You know, they they have, but they haven't seen it from this perspective, and as a result, it's foreign to them and unknown. And I I really think that's why it works as well as it does.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It it keeps it keeps us off kilter the entire time. And I, that was something I noticed rewatching the movie was that even though I basically knew you know, I remembered the major beats of the story because I saw it several times when we were younger, um, that it, it really doesn't as much fun as it is to watch. It never settles into comfortable the way a lot of, um, you know, like there are a lot of horror movies that I could watch as comfort food at this point, but scream never really entered that for me, which is weird because like, in terms of its packaging, it seems like the ideal, like vehicle for like horror once you you know the story but i I think it there's something sort of like so a powerful. background fun watch yeah exactly and I I can say um before we watched this um this time a few years ago uh, uh the night before a friend's wedding a bunch of us um had got a uh, but me and a bunch of friends got together and we were hanging out watching tv and we were like oh hey here's a fun movie to put on in the background and we were all sitting there watching that opening and just like by the time the boyfriend got killed we were like let's watch something else this is not (laughs) gonna do it like it was it was a complete mood killer like even all those and that was like in 2015 or something so the movie was like 21 years old at that point so like um yeah yeah i think you're absolutely right um and that that's something that is really exciting still to to think about um, because I don't know that a lot of the copycats had the um, courage to do that
0: no yeah I mean it's 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 really hard to as as an artist to like push as as a, a to push the audience it's it's very hard to for an artist to like willin- willingly and knowingly make the audience uncomfortable, you know, and it's and a lot of audience members aren't willing to be put in that position either.
1: No, I think that's why horror continues to have a. I mean, it's gotten better recently, but I think that's why historically horror, especially really upsetting horror, has always had a hard time um, finding critical respectability. I feel like that's changed in the last few years. Um, We've seen the pendulum shift, but, you know, uh, historically speaking,
0: 100%. So moving on to Scream 2, like we said, it's uh, like, you know, within a year, a sequel is made. And for me, Scream 2 is, you know, it isn't one of those very rare examples of a sequel that surpasses the original, but it's still a really good fucking movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um. When we were younger, I liked the second one more. I don't feel that way now, but I still thought it was really, really solid. Um, and about the best you could do with um, you know, I, I it's got the same voice. It feels like a natural extension of the first movie, um, which a lot of sequels don't. Like it it ups the meta text as you pointed out while we were watching it, like immediately. Um, you know, just just sort of um you know, starts playing with the audience expectations, not only of the genre, but of its predecessor. So now it's playing the game on like multiple levels.
0: Right, right. And,
1: and still manages to be a lot of fun to watch. I don't think that the who done it solution is as interesting. Um, I don't feel like, remind me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Timothy Olyphant's not in the movie very much
0: he definitely disappears like in the middle of the second act and then just sort of pops back up again as the killer and then also um Mrs. Loomis, you know Billy's mom who is the other killer. Uh she uh played by Lori Metcalf. She you know shows up throughout the the movie but there're never like any sort of hints. There's never any there's never anything that leads you to believe that she's anything other than she is, which is like a sort of like, you know, fledgling reporter who looks up to Gail Weathers, you know, whereas in the original scream, like, you know, it's somebody, you know, it's somebody in this group that you've, that you've been introduced to. And they all sort of uh, like have their motives, you know, even, even principal Fonzarelli, you know, like when the, when the two students are running through the hallway wearing ghost face masks, um, he like castigates them and like pretty viciously, like, you know, says that he wished like he could like cut them from end to end. And so like, you're thinking like, holy, like, is this like, is, is the man who just threatened to uh, wishes he could kill two of his students is he, could he possibly be the killer?
1: Right. Who's killing some of his students?
0: Um, you know, uh, could it be Stu, the seemingly uh, sociopathic uh, person who like, you know, laughs at his, uh, fellow students like brutal murders you know and like teases his girlfriend about it uh you know is it is it the boyfriend is it the moody you know johnny depp lookalike boyfriend is it the <laughs> is it the video store clerk who uh like you know like like billy says like you know reality snapped for him and then he started you know thinking he wasn't a movie and so you know the the it definitely works better in the first one whereas in the second one it's um uh, they just kind of like pull two characters that, you know, without any sort of, um, I guess like, you know, without laying the groundwork for it, you know, in the first one, like I said, they all have their motivation. And then when it's revealed, uh, you know, it all kind of makes sense, you know?
1: Right. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it adds up and it, it enriches everything that's come before it as well. You know, like realizing, oh, there are two. That's how Stu, you know, or that's how Billy could be there, but not be the killer at that time or whatever, right, or making right. that phone call. Um, and I feel like the first movie definitely has a red, he- you know, a, a, a big red herring plot with her dad, right? Like they, they go out of their way to make a point of the fact he's missing, um, you know, and he's going to pop up at some point. And, you know, it could be him. And I think that works well enough. But I feel like in the, the second one, there's, I think the problem is, and it would be really hard to do it otherwise, right? Is that you've got four basically surviving characters from the first movie and they all already know each other. So unless you decide that one of them is going to be the killer, by necessity, the killer is to be a character we haven't seen before.
0: Um, Right. Right. But like I said, um, it just, it like you said, like you asked if Timothy Olyphant's character is even in the second half of the movie, like he's barely in it. Like I said, Laurie Metcalf's character um, like there's like, I don't know, like, you know, I'm not asking you to spell it out for me, but there's like, in my opinion, there isn't any sort of hint. Like there's nothing for us to go back and be like, Oh, okay. Like that's why, that's why she said that because, you know, sort of like you know prestige type you know shit sort of thing
1: right right and there's um you know there's a i feel like there's a lot of effort put into making cotton weary and the jerry o'connell character both look like they could be the killer this time right um so the movie is a lot of fun to watch i just don't feel like it has the same impact that the first one does but at the same time, like it would have been really hard to replicate that impact. That's the thing about horror, right. Is that a lot of it works by surprise and by definition, a sequel comes loaded for bear with expectations. That's why a good sequel is hard to pull off in any genre, but horror, especially, which is funny because horror tends to generate more sequels than any other (laughs) franchise, (laughs) except maybe comic books at this point. Um, so that it's interesting, um, but yeah, I I also don't feel like the the ending, like in the stage and everything. Like I didn't, I was having trouble tracking like how that was as interesting, or I mean, I visually it's interesting, but how that like plays into the larger themes of the movie. Uh, even though a lot of time is spent in the theater, like there's that whole sequence where Sydney's in rehearsals and um uh, you know has a vision of ghost face and and freaks out there and um like just i don't know I, I and i wonder if they hadn't rushed it into production if they'd if they'd taken just a little bit more time done a couple more drafts if it could have been that rare sequel that you alluded to earlier that actually does outstrip its predecessor i don't know that you could i don't know
0: i mean i i'd be more interested i mean like and you know all this to say like i i Really, I still really enjoyed Scream 2.
1: Oh yeah, me too. I, you know, I'm delighted if, by it.
0: If Scream is five stars, Scream Two is you know four. You know it's yeah. definitely not as good in my opinion, but I still had a lot of fun watching it. Um, it definitely plays into like the sequel rules, where everything is you know bigger. The body count, like the set pieces, the body count, the the murders are more grisly. Um, you know, Randy ends up getting murdered, so. Starts to play into the fact that even like your surviving friends, even your the 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 characters you know and love that have you know survived the first bloodbath, uh, you know, they could be on the chopping block as well. Although, you know, we disagree that I felt Dewey should have died at the end of the second one, um, or at least, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it kind of you know, it definitely would have he obviously would have, um, uh, not allowed, uh, his storyline to continue with gail's character right you know where they you know end up together and getting married and all that um but i think it would definitely would have uh like i said ramped up the the stakes if another you know seemingly uh plot armor proof character had had been killed
1: that's true and that does feed into the third movie where i remember i saw the third one in theaters like opening weekend and never once did i feel like any of the three surviving characters from the original movie were in any real danger and so i remember and i think in retrospect having watched scream three again you don't really lose a whole lot if you do kill dewey at that point um yeah because honestly scream three you know, we'll get to that in a minute, but it's kind of an embarrassment. And uh, David Arquette's character does not come off very well in that movie. He, I feel like that the, the, the trajectory of the day of the Gale and Dewey characters is that they get more and more cartoonish as the series goes on, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but I guess kind of makes sense given who's playing them too, that, you know, David Arquette's already kind of goofy, um, and then you've got, you know, Courtney Cox, who of course has been acting in sitcoms for years and years and years now. That is her bread and butter, is sitcom. So, of course, like, you know, she operates at that frequency probably pretty much by default, I would say at that point. But um, I remember watching Scream 2 and thinking Dewey was dead. And whenever he came out in the ambulance at the end, being really delighted um, that he had made it out. But I think in retrospect, with some thought like as much as i as somebody who cares about the characters in scream want dewey and gail to have their happy ending i also don't feel like it pays off in any particularly great way um in the next movie so and and honestly could have added more stakes to the third movie if it's just gail and sydney like if they have both lost something really big at that point
0: right yeah exactly um yeah third one uh you know wasn't written by Kevin Williamson, uh, still directed by Wes Craven. However, it, just the whole thing and I just seems sloppy on so many different levels uh, one of the um, one of the articles you sent me talks about how uh, they only had Neff Campbell available to shoot for like three weeks. And so that's, days, a, yeah. that's a big reason why she sort of like disappears for a lot of the movie or is like stuck in like, you know, in one scene in the police station. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in one setting uh, they, they retcon Sydney's mother's murder to, you know, it, it's, it's her son that kills her or, well, it's
1: her son that sets up the, I thought, well, see. I the son, the son is the one who got Billy and Stu to do his dirty work for him, like that he was pulling the strings. I could be wrong about this I because see, it what, is confusing.
0: That's what I thought initially that he sort of um, masterminded the whole thing, sort of like you know, um, like gassed Billy up to do this. Be like, well, you know why your mom like maybe like in a IIRC, you know, uh, <laughs> IRC, uh, you know, you know why your uh, why your mom left, right? Um, But, yeah, the whole thing is really confusing, really sloppy. Uh, Yeah, David Arquette and Courtney uh, Cox's performances are uh, just wild. And, like, Parker Posey is doing her best, uh, you know, thinks she's in a a Christopher Guest movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And the whole thing seems like a farce it's like it's played it's played for comedy it's like it's played for the cheap seats whereas you know scream and scream 2 there are definitely like comedic elements to it but it only uses the comedy to sort of um like to disarm the audience member right you know uh you you know if you're laughing you you're less likely to expect you know the next scare
1: right well uh, the perfect example being randy's death right like he's having a killer moment like literally just taking the killer to fucking school on the phone and then gets yanked into that van and murdered and it's a perfect example of how the laughter in broad daylight yeah (laughs) yeah it's a it's an admit that's one of the best moments in the whole movie honestly um and so yeah yeah it it And there's so many celebrity cameos and like somebody on my Twitter feed, when I was talking about the movie called it the prequel to Jay and silent Bob strike back. And that is like dishearteningly apt. Like the movies feel (laughs) very similar in a lot of ways, not just because Jay and silent Bob are in both of them,
0: which what the fuck? Yeah. What, like, what does that even mean? What happened there?
1: Right. Like Like my guess is the Weinsteins thought it would be cute
0: i don't get it own both i don't i don't i don't get it at all
1: yeah it's not a it's not a good scene it's not funny it it completely pulls you out of the movie um and the movie's full of stuff like that like the carrie fisher cameo or or jenny mccarthy's entire performance like feels like a meta riff on her career um and not like in a cool clever way or anything um so it's yeah it it and and like the the end of the movie feels almost like scooby-doo right like they're splitting up in a mansion to hunt
0: like down in, yeah killer. in like the mansion that looks like you know the place from resident evil <laughs> yes it does and you hear like uh dewey and and gale like yelling in the background like
1: we gotta go over here no this door is locked
0: <laughs> it's just yeah i uh, i don't i mean it's yeah, it's it's baffling. It's baffling how like the the drop in quality is so steep from two to three. You'd think it'd be like a gradual, like okay, one was great, you know, two was all right, and three was really bad. Like no, one was great, two was still really good, and right. three is really bad. Like it's a cliff at that point.
1: Yeah, and I I mean I think. I think the the you know the article min- that I sent you mentions that they were doing a lot of rewrites on set. Um so I think that there were a lot of times where they weren't they would film a scene two or three different ways so the actors didn't even know like what direction the story was headed. So it'd be hard to like guide your performance if you don't even know what story you're telling. Right. Um so I mean I you know as much as we're sort of giving Arquette and Cox, some grief about their performances. It, it sounds like they didn't have the easiest time, like, you know, performing. Figuring, out, and,
0: figuring out how to perform. And so they yeah. said, Oh, yeah, we'll just go broad.
1: Right. Yeah. Let's play this for as many laps as possible. I mean, there's even one shot where like Courtney Cox and Parker Posey are like screaming and looking at each other that feels like a shot from like an action comedy. Uh, from the 90s rather than you know something from a war movie also the reveal it carries even less weight even though it should carry more because holy shit sydney has a brother um, long
0: lost half brother
1: that's right who who was abandoned by mommy and then rejected by her whenever he showed up trying to get into her life like that's not a bad idea that's really interesting um but Roman is in the movie so little and makes so little of an impression up until that point that I remember in the theater being like, and that guy, guy? <laughs> him, <laughs> like, like an Arrested Development.
0: Uh, Her? it's, and it doesn't really have anything like clever <laughs> or smart to say about, you know, the, the tropes, like, you know, like Randy comes back in this like VHS, um, you know, uh, you know, back from the grave sort of thing. Like, if you were watching this, I've already, I have already ceased to exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, he's talking about like, you know, if, if this is happening again, then we're going by trilogy rules, which, and they just seem so, uh, arbitrary. Yeah. Arbitrary. And one, like, I don't know. I, I don't like, I mean all like the, the horror movie tropes that they brought up def are definitely something like those definitely exist. Right. But, you know saying that you know at in a at the in a third movie or a trilogy that all the past always comes back like okay that i don't know the, the, i'm trying to think of like the godfather like at that point probably probably the most famous trilogy
1: aside from the star wars trilogy
0: and oh, yeah and, and, and like do any of those does the past come back to haunt them
1: i mean in as much as well we learn more about the past in return to the jedi right because we find out luke's got a sister and it's the girl he's been trying to make it with for the past few
0: years. So hot, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and but... an
1: entire genre of porn was born. Um...
0: Hey, step bro. <laughs> um, but and then also, like he says, like none of you are safe, and yet all bets all, are off. <laughs> all bets are off, and then none of them die. None of them. Get, none of them even get close to dying.
1: The movie makes the point of saying that more than once because Patrick Dempsey also says it
0: oh yeah Nev uh, dr dreamy.
1: who to be fair i i feel like again that his character is planted as a red herring the delivery that he gives and many many scenes makes it seem like he is the killer like it seems like they're deliberately trying to lead you down that road and honestly finding out he was sydney's half-brother would be more interesting than finding out roman was his half brother or her half-brother rather but um but he even says it. And I actually kind of liked his performance. I was a little bit sorry that like the movie didn't work better because like he's at least interesting. He's a relatively compelling screen presence, um, especially compared to a lot of the non-characters just taking up space for most of the movie. (laughs) Um, Oh Yeah,
0: you're absolutely right. Um, Another thing that was, I mean, especially, um, you know, in 2022, you know, like, the, the whole casting couch yeah uh, like they play that for a gag for a joke and like that definitely did not age well at all yeah i mean
1: they I, do and they don't right because sydney's mom it's implied was raped at one of those parties and it fucked her up for life and that's well, the that's what uh what's his name roman was born out of
0: um yeah i mean so like it's definitely like one of it They they don't because like there's that aspect of it, but then the 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 actress who's playing Sydney in the stab <sighs> movies, that's she's right. It's like, like, I didn't, you know, fuck that dirty old dude. Blah 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 blah. And so, I mean, it's 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 bad. Like it's mind boggling to me that you know we as a society we're okay with that kind of joke. We're okay with like, Oh yeah. So these men in power will, you know, coerce women to have sex with them so that these women can achieve, you know, their lifelong dream right. of, of doing something of, of, you know, of being an actress and that it was something that we would laugh about. That's something we would like, you know, uh, poke fun at um it's fucking baffling
1: well i think it's proof that one the movie it swings for low-hanging fruit at every available opportunity like lots of very broad obvious jokes um right right and that's an example of it but i think also the fact that like sydney's mom in the way that plays out shows that it's a movie that's not really thinking about what it's saying very much um it doesn't have a consistent voice throughout. I think that's the other problem is it feels like it is a different movie from scene to scene sometimes where it's like, the scenes are almost like sketches, you know, and they, they sort of come together at the end, but like, um, so I, I, I think it's um, further proof of a lack, proof of a lack of authorship um, by either the writer or the director and you know, to to be fair to the writer, Aaron Kruger, I think this was only like the second feature film he'd written, I believe. He's written a bunch of Transformers movies in the meantime, so. <laughs> um,
0: Good for him.
1: You know what? Yeah, I, I would write Transformers movies if somebody uh, would. Paid you work. a
0: million fucking dollars to do <laughs> exactly. it? Yeah, Yeah. Like you're going to turn that down. You're going to turn down a million Transformers dollars.
1: Right. And I mean, he's, you know, he's written some high, he wrote the american version of the ring which i thought was pretty good um so like he also wrote reindeer games at the Um, same
0: time but like you said there are like reports are that there were rewrites on set so just because this guy's name is on the script doesn't mean that every word that we hear in the movie was written by him
1: (laughs) right and you know again like this is like his second real feature film so like how much power does he really have the movie before that was arlington road who remembers that that one, you know, <laughs> like, um, so like it sounds like somebody who was brought in because he would be cooperative and he was available, um,
0: could do the job could exactly a, a serviceable job, right? Um, so, I mean,
1: I wouldn't put place the blame firmly at anybody's doorstep, but it he suffers the most, I think, in public opinion because he's not Kevin Williamson,
0: right? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, uh, you know, because he's not Kevin Williamson and, uh, I felt even if the movie had just been average, like it would have maybe not been as well received, uh, you know, just simply because uh, because it doesn't carry the same pedigree, right? Um, but I mean, it's it's in my opinion actively bad. <laughs> so as a result, uh, it's um, it's I mean, it it damn near killed the franchise. You know, it's it's almost it's like a little over a decade before. They decide to give it another whirl.
1: Yeah, 10 years. That's amazing that they let it lie that long. I mean, I guess that when did the TV show start? That was until the mid 2010s, right? No,
0: yeah, that was that was after Scream 4 for sure. That was, that was after the fact that, you know, like, okay, like they injected they some more life into it. Uh like this is still a viable IP.
1: Right. It's kind of amazing they let it lie for as long as they did. And I I mean part of me sort of respects that that they're like well maybe we drop the ball at the end but at the same time like the story is over you know right. because it, it feels like an ending um yeah. like and as much as i dislike the movie i sort of like that end scene you know where she decides to leave the door open
0: like- yeah that was like that was very sweet you know and like my like stepson uh i guess who hasn't seen him uh because like he walks he like walks by as i'm watching it watching uh in the living room and he's like she's like locking like several different like dead bolts and and he's like damn what's got her all scared and i'll be like you'd be terrified too like oh wait you probably (laughs) haven't seen these movies you're just you're like an 18 year old kid um but no i mean it's like they make it a point to show like how just living like she's like gone into hiding she's living in fear she's like no one knows where she is and you know now she finally feels safe enough that yeah which is also kind of weird. i mean i can understand the symbolism like, you, you know, you walk into your house, you close the door behind you, and then you see it, like, kind of, you know, you, I see it, it didn't click, and so it kind of swings open a little bit more. Like, why are you still going to leave your front door open? Like, who does that?
1: Right, you live out in the desert. Um, like,
0: I understand the symbolism behind it. It's very sweet, but practical, like, you know. are uh, you born in a barn? <laughs> yeah, at all, all practical, uh, for all practical, like, purposes, doesn't make any sense. Why are you going to leave your front door open? Um, but no, like, I... Uh, <laughs> Like I guess that's the best way to describe scream three is it's it's completely uneven, uh. It doesn't know what what doesn't know what it wants to say. Like you, like you, I thought you brought it up perfectly. Like on one hand, you know, it makes a very like biting indictment on that sort of culture that was in Hollywood where women, you know, like I said, uh, you know, or men coerce women into sex to get roles, and that sort of environment fostered a situation where Maureen was you know was raped by by a group of men which you know which you know in in the mythos of the of the in the canon of the story you know damaged her psychologically which you know is argued is why she you know was uh you know married you know long-term you know for a long-term period but still like sleeping with other men you know and uh and i feel that you know that's you know, not, not to say that Maureen deserved to die, but there is that sort of, you know, that, that
1: cautionary tale aspect of it.
0: Yeah. That's, that's kind of like, you know, that I'm not completely comfortable with, you know, it's like, you know, uh, this woman was murdered. So seemingly, you know, like, you know, Sydney points the finger at Cotton who, you know, Maureen was having an extramarital affair with. So, uh, and then, but in all actuality, it was the son of another man that she was having another extramarital affair with. And so I think that's sort of like, they tried to, you know, maybe like give some agency back to Maureen, you know, as a result of this revelation, like, you know, like, you know, she suffered like through this traumatic event and was never able to process it and it you know and so in that and that trauma you know exhibit you know you know came out it was exhibited in in various different ways
1: and I think if it had been handled a little bit better um I think part of the problem you end up with in by Scream 3 is that we haven't really thought about Maureen in a long time because she's not a plot point in Scream 2 not really um and Scream 3 tries to wedge her back in through some really clumsy dream sequences that are completely out of the visual vocabulary of the series up to this point. Yep. And, and I found really jarring. Um, but I'm wondering, like, yeah,
0: because... like, like, like a bit, not, not to cut you off, but real quickly. Yeah. Like the, it's very jarring because the entire, like, like sort of aesthetic of the, the previous two screen movies, like this is real, this is real life. These are real people who understand like how these movies work and operate in such a way and then we've got like these crazy like dream sequences where you know a, a bloody maureen is like calling out for her daughter
1: yeah and i feel like they're what they're reaching for is a good idea i think which is this idea of trying to retcon some more connection between sydney and maureen because there's a parallel there right there's a woman. Who went through hell and never got over it and then there's a woman who's been through hell and has to make the choice of whether or not to let it define her whether she moves forward and lets the world back into her life um but the movie can't quite connect those dots um i think it's similar although i think they handled it better i think it's similar to the problem you have in uh the second captain america movie with the winter soldier where like i don't think the audience ever cares as much about bucky as cap does so it just (laughs) cap seems like the guy who can't get over his crazy ex-girlfriend for most of his arc in the marvel movies like he's like dude why are you why do you keep going after this guy like he's crazy he's nothing but bad news like leave it alone you've got the falcon you've got this whole new thing let it go um so uh, you know if they could have found a way maybe like flashbacks or something like again bring sydney more to the forefront like maybe open in a flashback just find some way to connect them to connect her experience to her mother so that those revelations actually hit home for her as a character instead of something that you and i have to kind of piece together after the fact right right
0: uh what ifs what ifs um before we uh sign off for this episode i uh i didn't realize this until like we started doing prep for the show but the ghost face mask is something that actually exists in 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 real life like it's something that existed prior to the movie in fact like they found one of the masks um i guess like doing like a um, uh like set uh set uh like scouting set locations? I think so, yeah. And like one of the producers, somebody like found the mask and thought like, oh, this this would be perfect. And rather than like come up with something different that, you know, that they would then in fact own, they licensed this mask from the company that, that created it. And which for great for that company, man, like, can you like, like, I'm sure they made uh at least one million dollars. <laughs>
1: yeah, one million dollars American. <laughs> uh
0: but no, like and to me that and I mean like I was only you know we were only 13 at the time, but say like you are, you know, an older teenager or a young adult this time, and this movie about, you know, you know, a uh, someone who actually, you know, uh takes inspiration from seventies and eighties slashers movies and and is does that in the real world and does it in a mask that is available in the real world, you know, like, yeah, you can buy, uh, like, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger mask in Michael Myers mask, And you can buy like the sort of like, uh, like dirty, like dingy hockey mask that Jason's known for. Right. Uh, but you can only buy those because they were made famous by the movies whereas right. you could go you could have gone and what been one of those seven people in a theater watching scream and then in 1996 and then gone out to a halloween store not that there, there was a halloween store at the time because it came out in december which is another cool thing it came out it was like a christmas movie yeah so for <laughs> all is of you a christmas movie. for all of you say that die hard is a christmas movie scream is a christmas movie um <laughs> but you could go out and actually buy that mask which actually uh which actually led to a lot of quote unquote like copycat inspired killers like the that took you know air quotes inspiration from scream and and did awful things and and there was uh you know definitely definite controversy as to whether or not this movie was uh sort of in uh not enabling but sort of uh inspiring inspiring which you know like and Billy says it that you know the movies don't make the psychos they just make the psychos more creative, and so you know I, I and I didn't that's something else I didn't realize is that there were actual people putting on ghost face killer masks and actually killing people with them
1: yeah, yeah, um and I think that self-serving thing is actually or the rather that uh sorry. Let me take that again. I think that um, makes Psycho's more creative line is incredibly self-serving for the character because how is it creative if you're just copying what you saw in a movie? That's not <laughs> creative. That's that's literally just cosplaying. Um, that's, that's not bringing something new to the table. Um, so, you know, that... Um, but I think that that works for Billy who, you know, is just so full of like... Uh, you know, he's also got another line, like all of life is a movie, you just don't get to pick your genre. These like complete bullshit things that <laughs> might sound deep to another teenager, it's amazing. And Skeet Ulrich does such a good job delivering yeah. them.
0: No, yeah, it's great. Uh I was gonna say, I can't believe we forgot to discuss this for Scream Three. One of the main reasons that like it's like a it's like one of the biggest, you know, plot devices in the movie, but the killer has this uh sort of like the the voice modulator that the Characters have been using to sound like Ghostface. Right. Except he has one that makes him sound like everybody else in the movie.
1: <coughs> right. <laughs> and that's the one gag that gets used again and again to kill off all these
0: characters. And this is something that doesn't exist in real life, not even close.
1: Yeah, it feels lazy. Like, it's kind of interesting one time, which is in the opening with Cotton Weary and his girlfriend. Right. right. Like, which is kind of the most interesting the movie ever gets is in that opening sequence. And from there, it's really just bad, bad, bad. Um, But yeah, after that, it's like, okay, we we know what's happening. We can see it coming from a mile away. There are no surprises here. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's, come on, guys.
0: Come on. Uh, well, they did. They did. Uh, they did come on and went. they went ahead and made Scream 4, which, which we will talk about in just a couple of weeks, as well as Scream 5. We also uh, have a special guest lined up to discuss those movies. Uh, so we can't wait. We're so excited to be back on a, on a, on a regular basis. We, if you haven't listened to it, we sort of stealth dropped a uh, special holiday episode where we discussed the matrix trilogy as well as the matrix resurrections. You're welcome. Uh, but you know, that was just a little one-off to you know, bridge the gap between last semester and this semester, you know, we're, we're back uh, we're back on a regular schedule. We'll be discussing Scream four and five and possibly a little bit of the TV show. I've, I found myself uh, being a big uh, warts and all becoming a big fan of the show. Um, because it really speaks to uh like my like bad horror fan inside of me like the fan of bad horror um, but uh then after that you know there's a there's a cool little show on disney plus about some guy named uh robert fett and robert so, fettacini robert think. Fettuccini uh colloquially known as boba fett we'll be discussing uh like his character as well with another special guest we got a lot of cool stuff planned out um we got a a a gangbuster couple of semesters uh well spring uh summer and uh and fall we got a whole year planned out already we're we're excited for you to be a part of it Uh, if you want to join the conversation you can find us on twitter we are uh, fandom you. that's the letter U. fandom U podcast. Uh, and then also you can email us FandomUPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, anything else you want to, to plug? plug? Um, no. I also do uh, I also do a, uh, another podcast called The Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. that's on the Robots Radio network, where uh, you know me and my good friend Crit talk about all things D and D uh sean wrote a book a horror book called the mm-hmm. cosmology of monsters if you are into all things that go bump in the night definitely check it out you can buy it in paperback uh you can even probably find still still find a hardcover somewhere
1: yeah yeah hardcover still available you can get an ebook audiobook it's a real book it came it's out a, from like it's a it, real it,
0: actual book like you went on a book tour and at like read stuff at bookstores and like signed copies of your book and yeah. I was on
1: NPR, yeah. Like this yeah. it, is this is pretty legit. If you're into meta commentary on horror, this is definitely a book for you.
0: For sure, uh, but yeah, it's called The Cosmology of Monsters by Sean Hamill. He's my best friend. He's my co-host, and he's he's the most beautiful man I've ever known.
1: I am staggeringly
0: good-looking. <laughs> he's like the most. He's he's beautiful. He's a he's a <laughs> handsome guy. My name is Sergio. Mine is Sean. Be kind to yourself and to others.
1: Nailed it.